Today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast is proudly sponsored by Lalaman Brewing. Lal Brew Novo Lager is an innovative new hybrid lager yeast strain from Lalaman Brewing. Belonging to the newly created Group 3 lager yeast category, Nova Lager exhibits increased temperature tolerance for faster and more forgiving fermentations. Produced using a non-GMO yeast breeding technique, Lalbrew Nova Lager incorporates a patented technology which prevents the creation of hydrogen sulfide which can lead to sulfurous off-flavours in the final beer. Additionally, Lalbrew Nova Lager produces a reduced level of diacetyl allowing for shortened storage times post-fermentation. Visit lalamanbrewing.com and get in touch with your local representative for more details. Lalaman Brewing, we brew with you. This week's episode is also sponsored by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been hop factors and merchants since 1865 and hop growers for even longer than that. While importing a vast catalogue of international hops, they have also developed their own varieties through their hop development programme set up to create wildly different aromas and flavours, whilst also working closely with growers to produce varieties with good yields and disease resistance. Every year, a new class of plants are set off on their journey, involving disease assessments, aroma assessments and plot and brewing trials to get from 10,000 individual variety seedlings to one super successful variety for commercial release. The Farrams family range brings to you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana, and Opus. They stock nitrogen flushed leaf hops, T90 pellets, and T45 pellets. And to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state of the art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire, UK, and in Yakima, USA, with their Yakima site being a staging point for quality checks and the safe journey of US hops to the UK. Charles Farham are fully committed to providing quality hops to customers at home and around the globe through their well-hopped quality programme. And did you know they also supply yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products? Get one delivery and one invoice. The range and product specifications can be found on their website, charlesfarham.co.uk. If you'd like more information or expert advice on the different uses, applications and recipes, one of their technical advisors will be really happy to help. Visit charlesfarram.co.uk. That's charlesfarram.co.uk for more details and to connect with one of their team. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hot Forward is a show entirely dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, brewers, bar stewards, and business owners, and welcome to another sesh. In fact, not just any other sesh, but... Episode 150 of the Hot 4 Podcast. Celebrate good times. Come on. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed that little number. On November the 7th, 2018, I launched the first episode of the Hot 4 Podcast featuring Adam France and Dan Hunt from Heist Craft, who back then were two upstarts in an old schoolhouse 
in a sleepy ex-mining village in Derbyshire looking to take on the world of craft beer. Their brand, High Brew Co., is now a popular beer destination with their brewery and magnificent taproom in the heart of Neepsend, Sheffield. And since then, I've had the privilege of visiting and speaking to brewers and people in the business of beer across the world. I've visited Magic Rock just before the sell-up to Little Lion World Beverages. I've seen the Yorkshire Squares and the old-school technology in the Timothy Taylor Brewery in Keithley. I've listened to the opinions of authors, writers and journalists, and I've shared beers with countless brewers, all of whom have had their own unique story to tell. But last week was a first for me. Last week, I was shown around a cattle market and got to see farmers bidding on cows. Yes, I kid you not. In this quintessentially British episode, I was invited to Melton Mowbray to visit Round Corner Brewing. I've gotten to know co-founder Cumby Cryan, who is also a director of the cattle market for a while now, and have immensely enjoyed their beers. Every time I've been to visit my family, who only live 30 minutes away, I've been invited over. And finally, I managed to carve out some time to take a trip through the rolling landscape of Middle England to visit. And this is what the train station told me when I arrived. Are you ready for it? the rural capital of food. I mean, I have made it. For better or worse, some people live to eat while others <coughs> live to eat. Upon my arrival at the brewery, armed with pork pie and cheese, I was greeted by Cumby, who then took me around the cattle market to show me the entire site. He explained how bidding works, how supermarkets occasionally swan in and price everyone down, surprise, surprise, and chat to some of the colourful characters there who are fishmongers by day and actors by night. The large site, which is constantly being developed, also hosts a gin distillery, delicatessens, a pub, and even a smokehouse, which is currently being constructed. And then there's the microbrewery. Sporting a steam-powered brew house, a variety of DPVs, canning line, a tap room, and an impressive lab. It's little wonder that Round Corner Brewing are creating some of the most on-point beers in the United Kingdom and beyond. And if you think that's just my opinion, the World Beer Awards, European Beer Challenge, and International Brewing Awards would argue otherwise. Clocking up 32 awards since 2019, I thought that was impressive. But the ace card that trumped them all was when Cumbie showed me the previous winners of the trophy for the world's best ale and gold at the International Brewing Awards 2021. Steeplechase, their lush pale ale and last year's winner, now sits amongst beers from breweries such as Sierra Nevada, Firestone Walker and Deschutes. High praise indeed. Round Corner's beers may not be all about hype and juice, but with former city worker Cumby Cryan and veteran brewing director Colin Page, it's little wonder that they've carved out for themselves a good business model with a range of award-winning beers. Anyone who's ever met Colin will be aware of the sheer wealth of brewing knowledge he's racked up over the years, including Fuller's, Stone and & Wood and Max Brewery in Wellington. It's quite clear from my visit that the team, led by Colin, puts QA at the forefront of everything they do. Having gotten to know Cumbie well over the last few years, we'd often chatted in person or on the phone about the industry, and now it felt like a prevalent time to record one of our conversations about the landscape of British beer. We discuss everything from their brewing journey and their pursuit of quality through to the challenges that brewers are facing in the current economic climate. 
So we've got all that to come. However, before we hop into this week's discussion, I'm joined by Andrew Patterson of Lalaman Brewing to talk once again about yeast. Hello. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Are you? Yeah, not so bad. Thank you. Are things going well at Lalaman? They are, yeah. I mean, it's been an exciting time. We're a very innovative couple of years, so there's a lot of kind of new stuff in the pipeline and, uh, you know, we've launched quite a few strains the last couple of years and it's, from my perspective, very exciting because it's all kind of genetically interesting, mm. um, not just brewing yeast interesting, genetically interesting. Right. Well, I mean, let, let, let's talk about Nova Lager because you, you said about introducing new strains um, and I, this caught my eye fairly recently. So um, what, what makes it different from a strain like Lyle Brew Diamond? So quite a lot, actually. Um, <laughs> and I, I can go into some detail because there is a bit of detail behind it. So lager yeast are actually quite a, um, a recent thing. So they evolved probably somewhere in the region of 200 years ago. Uh, and they've got an interesting background in that they're a natural hybrid um, that was created um, by the meeting of two different yeast strains, and um, one of which we know really, really well. Um, which is Saccharomyces cerevisiae or ale strain, yep. Um, yep. which is everywhere and you know has been around for a very long time. Um, and within the species is actually quite diverse. So if you look at brewing yeasts um, across Europe um, going back 300 years, um, there would have been loads and loads of different ones. And actually, um, in more recent times, that's consolidated a bit because people have started using uh, cultured yeasts rather than just you know propagating their own yeast or using it over and over again. Um, so that's one side of of large yeast. The other side of lager yeast uh, is a wild yeast, um, which was only recently discovered. I think it was, it was maybe 2007, but it may actually be even later than that. It might be 2012. Right. That is um, fairly recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like really recent stuff. Um, and that's a species called Saccharomyces eubionis. Um, and it's been found uh, associated mostly with oak trees or trees in general. Um, I think first it was found in South America in Patagonia. And since it's been found in Tibet and Wisconsin as well. So it's like kind of, it's not a very common yeast, but it seems to be geographically quite distributed. Yeah. Um, but weirdly, you know, lager yeast kind of originated in, in uh, Germany. Weirdly, it hasn't actually been found in Europe. Um, so nobody's ever found this other ancestor yeast, Saccharomyces eubionis, in Europe. So it leads to the question, you know, where did this other parent of lug yeast come from and how did it find its way to, to Europe? And the working hypothesis is that because uh, it was associated with trees and oak trees, this probably arrived uh, in barrels in, in some form. Mm. So think back, yeah, 200, 300 years, the two yeasts meet together probably in a brewery environment. So Saccharomyces cerevisiae, Saccharomyces eubionis kind of bred together to create this new lug yeast, um, which we call Saccharomyces pastorianus. Um, and that probably or possibly happened twice, or it happened once, and then further down the line, the strain kind of genetically changed again. Um, so you've got two distinct lineages of um, large yeast. They call them uh, groups one and two, or Sartz and Froberg. Um, and to be honest with you, nobody really uses uh, group one or Sartz for anything. Um, it doesn't ferment particularly well. Um, it doesn't ferment multitriers for the most part. Uh, it's very cold tolerant, great, um, but it's just not very good at um, metabolizing brewing sugars. So most large yeasts out there come from this lineage known as uh, Group 2 or Froberg yeasts, and they differ from the Type 1 yeasts in that they have 50% uh, of their genome from the Saccharomyces cerevisiae ale, ale parent and 50% from the Ubionis parent. Um, so you've got quite a lot of 
ale yeast within that genome, which means it's quite good at metabolizing work sugars. Um, on the other hand, the, the type 1 yeasts, they have uh, two-thirds of the wild eubionis and one-third uh, of ale genome. So they're not as good at metabolizing work sugars and surviving the brewing environments. So that kind of explains the two differences between the two. Um, now, obviously, lagi still has some downsides to it. Um, it likes low temperatures, which means the fermentation temperatures, uh, sorry, fermentation times are quite slow. Um, it kicks out quite a lot of sulfur, and because of those cold temperatures, it doesn't reduce diastole quite as fast mm. as some ale strains do. So, I mean, it's great yeast, obviously, probably the most popular yeast out there, um, because lager is still the predominant beer style in the world. Um, but what we've done is we've created uh, a new hybrid, so basically a new type of lager yeast. Um, so we've got our type 1 and a type 2, and they're differentiated by the, 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 the genomes that exist within them. Our type 3 uh, is basically changed the proportion of those genomes, so we end up with a um, tetraploid strain. So it's got four copies of genomes in it, and it's got three from an ale strain and one from a lager yeast. So you end up with something that's got comparatively more ale genome in it, less lager genome in it, but it still behaves uh, a bit like a, a lager yeast. Um, so it's, it's really innovative, like really exciting stuff. Um, a brand new uh, type of ale yeast, like almost like a new category. So um, in a nutshell, that kind of explains how different it is from uh, from from a standard lager yeast mm. and uh, what, what counts for the difference. Yeah, I mean, that all sounds quite complicated. <laughs> I probably have to go back and listen to that um, to, to get my head around it. With Nova Lager yeast then, what, what sort of lager styles would it be best suited to? So... I mean, you can use it for pretty much any lager style out there. Um, the difference is that you can ferment those lagers at a slightly higher temperature, right. and therefore you benefit from faster fermentation times. Um, I mean, as, as far as specific styles go, you, know, you could do Hellas, German pills, Czech pills. Um, one thing that people are talking about a lot at the moment is the old cold IPA. Yep. Um, personally, I have no experience of brewing cold IPA, but it seems to be sort of the the in IPA style at the moment. Um, so I'd say it's fairly well suited towards that as well. Um, and then, you know, I, I never like to limit myself to using a particular type of yeast for a particular style. So I think there's real scope to play around there. Um, you know, things like old beer, Kolsch, I think it'd be perfect for those styles as well. Mm. So with maturation times, obviously said a second ago that using this yeast strain can cut down on your conditioning times. Like, how long would a brewer have to condition, let's say a Pilsner, um, as an example, before packaging it with Nova Lager yeast? Oh, that's, I mean, it's a slightly complicated question there. So, I mean, I, th I think the, the answer is twofold. Um, the, the Nova Lager, I mean, one of its main benefits is that it's a shorter fermentation time, mm. and that's primarily due to the fact that it's got a, a higher temperature tolerance. Um, but then if you look towards more classical maturation and the reasons for maturing beer, there's probably two main reasons. One of those would be colloidal stability, so just kind of clarity of brightness. Um, and the other would be flavour uh, stability as well and flavour production. So you'd really be looking for things like uh, sulphur um, compounds to reduce down uh, and for the flavours just to smooth out during that conditioning period. Right. So it's, it's a case of what you're looking for you know how long you condition a lager for if you look at some of the big brewers they barely condition their lagers at all and that's because they've hit all of the aims that they needed to achieve during that maturation process um, but they've just done it much much faster than you would traditionally have done so yeah um 
So how, how long would you need to condition it for? It depends on your aims. Um, one of the benefits of the, uh, the yeast that we've got here, the, the Nova Lager, is that it is a low diastole producer, so that's likely to come into spec uh, a lot quicker than a, a standard lager yeast, um, particularly at the warmer temperatures, because that helps the yeast to metabolise that diastole a bit faster. Um, but it also incorporates uh, an interesting technology that was... Um, first uh, created, discovered by um, the University of Davis, California, um, called MET-10. And that's a technology that means the yeast uh, doesn't produce any hydrogen sulfide, which mm. is the egg flavor that is quite common in lagers. Um, so one of the things you'd be doing when you're maturing is, is waiting for that flavor to kind of flash off because it's quite volatile. Um, and in the case of the Nova lager, it doesn't produce it at all. So you don't have to wait for that to happen. So what's the difference between Nova lager and, say, a Kolsch strain? Um, if you're saying about it fermenting at high temperatures? I mean, genetically, it's it's very different right. to a, a Kolsch. So, I mean, a, a, a Kolsch is genetically an ale strain, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. it prefers warmer temperatures, but it can go a bit, a bit cooler as well. Um, but it won't produce much in the way of uh, lagery characteristics. So looking beyond H2S production, there are other sulfur compounds produced by lager yeast that probably wouldn't be produced by a Kolsch strain. Right. Um, at the same time, lagers tend to be quite ester-focused um, with their flavour profile. And if you, if you have something very light, like a Coors Light or a Budweiser, I mean, people like to say that they don't taste of anything, but actually they've got quite a subtle, interesting uh, estery note, which is very characteristic of a lager yeast. And the Nova um, hits those notes very well. So I am right in thinking with Nova Lager that you get all the lager characteristics you would from, let's say, a traditional lager strain, but without the length of fermentation time and having to cool the beer quite as much. Yeah, so it'd be the length of fermentation time would be shorter um, and then the maturation time ought to be shorter as well. I mean, it sounds like an ideal solution, in my opinion, for any brewer out there that's wanting to make lager but doesn't want to tie up their tanks for weeks and weeks on end. Certainly, and, and that's definitely part of the idea behind it. You know, it's it's something that uh, brewers are looking for is um, greater ability to turn around tanks. Um, and actually, you know, these days, looking at energy efficiency, um, not having to chill them for as long is probably a good thing as well. Yep. Um, yep. So those are kind of the, the the places that it hits really well. Um, one of the other benefits, and I think it's probably set apart from that particular question, uh, is that because it's got an ale background, it grows to a higher cell density. Um, so you can end up with a lower pitching rate than you would need for a traditional dried lager yeast, um, actually in the region of about 50%, I think. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's, it's kind of saving money on all fronts. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Amazing. It's definitely got benefits there. The, the other question I had is, unlike some of the lager strains, I noticed this one's got a medium flocculation. What does that mean for brewers that want to produce and package a nice clear beer? I mean, essentially, that means you're going to have to find a way to get the, uh, the yeast out of it. Um, what I would note is that genetically, um, lager strains aren't that diverse and they don't tend to flocculate as readily as ale strains do. Right. So. While it's medium, I don't think it's that far away from other lager strains that exist out there. So I would look at, I mean, if you've got the luxury of it, a centrifuge, great. Um, if you don't have the luxury of it, then some fining regime would probably be the best way to go. Um, and, I mean, these days, I think uh, 
vegan and vegetarian findings are probably the way to go. Yeah. Um, we, we've got two, actually. Uh, Protofine, which is based on orange pectin, and another one called Protosol, which is based on uh, silica salt, which are, are quite common at the moment. So I'd probably look to use some sort of vegan finding agent to, to, to clear that beer a bit faster, if, that, if that's what they're looking to do. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show again and filling us in with Nova Lager East. I know I'm definitely going to try it in uh, the next lager I produce. How can people get hold of it? So through through our distributors in the UK, so that is uh, Murphy and Son um, and Lochburn Brewers Select, as they are now known. They're, uh, yeah, recently changed ownership structure. So, uh, yeah, th- those are the two best places uh, in the UK to find it. Um, if you're listening internationally, and I appreciate there probably will be some international listeners, um, we do have a distributor um, kind of locator on our website. So you can go in there and, and stick in your, your country and it will come up with the, the nearest local agent that should be able to get you the yeast. Super. And if people want to contact you or their local representative to ask any questions about it? Yeah, you can either go uh, via the web form and it will get distributed out to the, the country um, in, w- in which you're located, or you can just use my email address, uh, apatterson with one T at lalaman.com. Uh, and that's fine as well. Awesome. <laughs> Before we hop into this week's episode with Cumbie Crying from Round Corner Brewing, I'd like to take a moment of your time to champion another brewery who are launching this weekend, Friday the 4th of November in Hoxton, East London. Great Beyond Brewing Co. are a new independent brewery based in a trio of railway archers, a mere stone's throw from Hoxton Overground Station. Situated on Union Walk, their brewery and tasting room is open for the first time this weekend. Having gotten to know the team over the summer, like Round Corner, their experience and knowledge of brewing is exceptional, as is their desire to build a business that puts sustainability and community and creativity at the heart of all that they do. So if you're in London and you want to visit a new brewery, which I believe are going places, make sure you head down to Union Walk in Hoxton, try their beers, meet the team and follow them on social media at Great Beyond Beer. Finally, before we crack open today's conversation, here's a word from our sponsors who make Hop Forward possible. This show is only made possible by our supplier sponsors who support this podcast on a regular basis and offer support and insights to all our listeners within the craft beer industry, whatever you'll need. Today's episode of the Hop Forward podcast is proudly sponsored by Lalaman Brewing. Lal Brew Nova Lager is an innovative new hybrid lager yeast strain from Lalaman Brewing. Belonging to the newly created Group 3 lager yeast category, Nova Lager exhibits increased temperature tolerance for faster and more forgiving fermentations. Produced using a non-GMO yeast breeding technique, Lal Brew Nova Lager incorporates a paint-intensive technology which prevents the creation of hydrogen sulfide which can lead to sulfurous off-flavours in the final beer. Additionally, Lal Brew Nova Lager produces a reduced level of diacetyl, allowing for shortened storage times post-fermentation. Visit lalamanbrewing.com and get in touch with your local representative for more details. Lalaman Brewing, we brew with you. This week's episode is also sponsored by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been hop factors and merchants since 1865 and hop growers for even longer than that. While importing a vast catalogue of international hops, they have also developed their own varieties through their hop development programme, set up to create wildly different aromas and flavours, whilst also working closely with growers to produce varieties with good yields and disease resistance. 
Every year, a new class of plants are set off on their journey, involving disease assessments, aroma assessments, and plot and brewing trials to get from 10,000 individual variety seedlings to one super successful variety for commercial release. The Farrams family range brings to you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana, and Opus. They stop nitrogen flush leaf hops, T90 pellets and T45 pellets, and to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire, UK, and in Yakima, USA, with their Yakima site being a staging point for quality checks and the safe journey of US hops to the UK. Charles Farham are fully committed to providing quality hops to customers at home and around the globe through their well-hopped quality program. And did you know they also supply yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products? Get one delivery and one invoice. The range and product specifications can be found on their website, charlesfarram.co.uk. If you'd like more information or expert advice on the different uses, applications and recipes, one of their technical advisors will be really happy to help. Visit charlesfarram.co.uk. That's charlesfarram.co.uk for more details and to connect with one of their team. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You can find out more about Hop Forward and the work we do within the industry at our website, hopforward.beer, or follow us on social media at hopforwardbeers. And if you really wanted to go the extra mile, you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify with what you think about this podcast. For now, let's crack open this week's discussion. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Slow on, chat. <laughs> so your Baltic Porter. Mm. Is this the same beer that... I noticed the bottle over there, which was... That was the beer that when my late father... No, died. a different beer. It's no, a different beer. That's a Imperial Black... Lager. That's the rum. So that's the gunmetal, yeah, rum barrel age. Right. This isn't had any barrel. Okay. No barrel whatsoever. So, yeah, we we wanted to make like, because those type of beers, like particularly that one, like that's a magnificent beer. Oh, so I'm so very proud to have been able to give you that for the, but like, and I'm not just saying it because you're here, but like, it's just magnificent, but like, it's so expensive to make those. You can't, it, there's no commercial return. Whereas you can make these beers and they're complex and everything like that, but the fact that you haven't had to age them in 300 quid. Yeah barrels means that they're accessible so because i know you showed me those barrels earlier yeah, yeah, like yeah. when you make a beer like that is yeah. it is it purely just for the self-indulgence of let's make something that tastes amazing that we can wax seal and all the rest of it like what how do you come at it when if they don't make that much money yeah how do you come at it commercially yeah versus yeah, yeah. the sort of crap beer nerd in you that wants to make a great beer i don't i don't want to, i i'm not even sure there's like a I don't know, this this kind of dividing point where your logic, you know, where you really think through, okay, the logic has to be slightly mm. different. I just think like, well, of course we want to make amazing beers. And sometimes we'll have to make beers that are not about margin. Or even if you'd love and you have to calculate margin with everything, you have to say, all right, the barrels aren't part of the margin calculations. The extra eight months when it's not released aren't part of the margin calculations. And you get back to it. And even with those things, you still end up with a phenomenally expensive beer. Like, so... 
Yeah, like I, I always, you know, it's a bit like a wine list. I always think if you kind of find a great imperial and it's a really good price, you're obviously getting the best value beer you possibly could do, even if the actual price of that yep. beer is. And this, in my mind, is just like is a. You, you can't sell these things on value, nor should you ever. But like you know, you, you're drinking a beer like this has got all the complexity and stuff like that. But yeah, they're just a really good price and you know the, the kind of malt and these things yeah I'm quite a fan of malt as well so yeah I don't know like it, it, they're certainly not margin uh, businesses and then you make such a small amount that like clearly money is made in lagers and session pale ales or IPAs yep. and the rest of the stuff is yeah indulgence being one word the other is yeah you just want to make a spectrum of beers and sometimes people will try this and they'll work back to your other beers and they'll go oh, fucking hell that's great but Pretty clearly, it's difficult to beat the, from a financial perspective, people who are going to drink, you know, five or six pints of lager on a hot day in your own tap room is the dream. Yeah. <laughs> and then everything after that is kind of like, but like, it all sits together. Like in, in our minds, like we think about like, you can't really build a, well, we're sitting here in this web shop thing. You can't just build a web shop business in isolation and think, right, our money's not going to be in pubs or in bottle shops or in stores. It's going to be off you know, directly released beer into, into you know, folks. Mm. Because how the hell are they going to find out about you? You know, you don't have the money to endlessly, you know, um, run campaigns or, you know, blah, 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 do stuff online. Is people are most trial-oriented in pubs and they find out about you that way. And then maybe they might find out about you by some beer subscription club. Um, uh, and then they might go to a store and yet again, that validates it again. And only then, you know, when they've seen you a few times, will they think about going to your store to buy from you direct so yeah it's like all of these things are linked you know so yeah it's a in the same way as different beers are linked so yeah mm. i don't think we'd ever do anything other than you know every every few beers we want to do an amazing beer and we have to probably exclude certain things from the margin calculation there you go yeah don't yeah lose sleep about it yeah <laughs> well cumby round corner brewing good to have you on the podcast again so mm. i think um the last time you were on was during COVID, if I remember rightly. I think it was, yeah. So it's nice to actually come to the brewery this time. Mm, and see it and see all the uh, the uh, cattle bidding and all the rest of it. I was tempted <laughs> to I was tempted to place a bid on a cow. Yeah, yeah. You know, that uh, would have been a mistake. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be leaving here with, you know, some uh, good times, some good beer and a cow. <laughs> <laughs> well there you go, the full experience. Absolutely like to think of it as it's cool. Well, so for anyone that's not familiar with Round Corner Brewing or they haven't listened to the previous episode, which I'm aware probably a lot of people won't have, especially if you're new to the podcast, why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself and about the brewery? Yeah, so uh, I'm Cumbie Cryan, uh, co-founder of Round Corner Brewing, along with Colin Page. Um, so we brewed our first beers in uh, uh, December 2018, um, so just immediately perfect timing to, to head into the pandemic a year later. Uh, but at the kind of origins of the, the brewery, it go um, further back than that. So Colin and I first met in New Zealand uh, uh, about you know, almost 20 years ago now. Um, he was running the biggest craft brewery in New Zealand at the time. And I was over there kind of in some sort of deluded way. Uh, trying to take a break from my job. I was working in the city at the time uh, and I was going over there to buy a brewery or set up a brewery or whatever it was because the craft... <laughs> as, as you do. <laughs> yeah. And I had no money or anything. You know, it was, it was 
just pure delusion, right? But there you go. That's I such thought a people nice... that worked in the city were just like whapping their ass on money and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would you would think so, but maybe I was doing it wrong. I don't know, but uh, uh, clearly I, I was I was doing something wrong or right, depending on your perspective, because I wanted out. Um, and uh, yeah, my wife's a Kiwi and uh, moved over there, and I met. Uh, a number I went around all the breweries well on my way over went around a ton of breweries all around the world but also in New Zealand everywhere and uh, finally found my way to Max uh, 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 Shed 22 Brewing in Wellington and uh, met Colin that way and uh, you know kind of immediately hit it off and uh, we spent the next few years kind of variously talking about this that and the other nearly uh, you know kind of going off and building breweries in New Zealand and Australia and Vietnam and Cambodia and all of these not madcap ideas they were very very firm ideas in our mind that we wanted to create a, 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 a brewery together because the brew scene in places like New Zealand is fairly far advanced you know mm. there's there some amazing even was then and even more so now some amazing breweries uh, in that space and obviously they have amazing access to some wonderful hops there but oh, indeed uh, yeah so then uh, sort of I came back to the UK uh, breweryless, <laughs> um, uh, in about 2010, and probably at that stage the brewing scene had started to take off here a bit. Uh, Colin had originally left the UK in the mid 90s because there wasn't a particularly independent brewing scene to go brewers. So he graduated out of Harriet Watt in Scotland and worked at uh, uh, Fuller's and uh, Hotback Brewing here in the UK. You know, for you know those stages were the independent craft breweries of, of, of the UK scene at that stage. So uh, I came back and um, uh, uh, just went back to my job in the city, but always had a hankering for doing something different. And about um, go maybe eight, eight years ago, nine years ago, um, my friend and I kind of desperate to get out of the city, bought a cattle market here in Melton Mowbray in the East Midlands. And uh, about a year and a half later, I kind of rang Colin with the light bulb moment that uh, it, it's a cattle market, but, and you saw it today, Nick, mm. um, it ha it's right in the centre of, of a town of 40,000 people. It's very definitely a meeting place where kind of country meets town. Um, it has, you know, amazing farmers market. It has four of the biggest food festivals, you know, in the country, if not the world, um, here every year. It's just an amazingly quite iconic site that um, we thought we could build a great brewery in uh, 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 and be kind of welcome a lot of people on site to a, a tap room and beer experience. And... Um, yeah, they, it goes from there. And kind of only when we opened it, we probably realised that, um, you know, some of the things that uh, were in our favour, lots of things weren't. We, you know, we weren't particularly early to the scene here uh, in the UK, but we didn't particularly feel the need to be. We're never really about hype or pursuing trends, you know, you name it. We want to make, uh, uh, you know, what we call uncommonly good beer. And I'll come back to that a bit. But, you know, kind of we, we thought that, uh, here in the East Midlands, there wasn't loads of breweries. Uh, and really sadly, probably over the last year, they've become even less and less. Mm. A couple of breweries in Leicester just closed in the last week or two, and it's it's heartbreaking to see that. Um, and so we thought that, you know, a, a, a part of the country that has, you know, 8 million people within 50 miles of us, um, you know, there's uh, uh, deserved more beer. And, uh, you know, our, our job, as we see it, is to give them what we call uncommonly good beer, which kind of really, for, for boiling it down, is our view of craft is the pursuit of perfection. And you probably saw a bit of this today, Nick, where 
we're quite obsessive about beer here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you reckon? Um, uh, you know, we'll in, in, yeah, in 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 the way in which we uh, uh, construct beers, the way in which we um, uh, talk about beers, the way in which we test the beers that we have, the way in which we. Um, yeah, are never satisfied with, with with what we're producing and going from there. So it's 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 our way of doing things, but we hope it translates into, uh, you know, very drinkable, approachable beers. But that takes a lot of work. You know, it's 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 not simple, and so we're really happy to take on that work. And you know, our job is is to you know grow the category and sector. Uh, uh you know that that uh, you know is is craft beer in the UK uh, from something that's less than five percent to something that is much bigger. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I noticed today in particular, and obviously I said this to you guys in the bar earlier, was just like the constant pursuit of QA. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it, it seemed that there was a lot of note-taking, a lot of sensory analysis, and, you know, as Colin was saying, that, that happens like all the time, you know, and, and like the um, brew sheets are like, what would you say, like 15 pages long or something, like detailing all the, mm. the processes and all the rest of it that's pretty rare to have that amount of obsession over the, the detail. But I do think, and I'm not just saying this because we're sat here and, you know, drinking beers and stuff together, but like I do think that it really shows in the quality of your beers that, you know, that they're, they're so on point. They're so, they're so flavorful, but they're not intrusive. You know, they're, they're yeah. not going to dominate a conversation. And I think that's what the best beers do. You know, they, they 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 give you both those things without it being like the the sole talking point. Then on to the next one, and yeah, and so on. Yeah, well, I mean, when I say we're passionate and obsessive about beer, like we are, but there's a limit to which you can, I suppose, want, need, or demand people who drink your beer to be like that. In the end, like beer comes down to or beer at its best comes down to a social lubricant. It's, mm. a, it's a drink that's best enjoyed amongst friends, with food, you know, it, it, in a social setting. And we probably, I hope, have developed a newfound appreciation of that, uh, you know, in a, in a post-COVID world where, you know, kind of the 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 bars and venues, etc., that are still succeeding and thriving are very much centred around community and bringing people together because that's the bit that you can't get by drinking a beer at home yeah. you know or on zoom or whatever it might be and and uh, that feels probably as as relevant now as it probably did as we were immediately coming out of lockdown where that was the thesis i think that's that's probably the reality around now you can't just open your door whether it's to a shop or to a um uh, a, an online presence or a pub and just expect people to be queuing up waiting there you know yeah. you have to reach into the, their house and bring them out and you have to connect with them and I think yeah people should be obsessive you know if you're a brewer about beer but you should not demand that drinkers are you know there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of exclusionary kind of either thinking or whatever amongst probably would have started in the real ale world but the kind of you know the, the the interesting aspect. If you look within, um, I suppose some of the criticisms of camera, whether warranted or not, is the geekiness and the you know kind of uh, the demand that people get involved in. You know some of the levels of detail or feel religious about some of the details. And the irony should not be lost in people that the craft beer world, which might or might not have been set up as something to kind of offer an alternative, has gone down some of the very similar routes mm. where they demand people be 
obsessive about the hops that are in their beers or somehow knowledgeable about it when in the end as an example if someone comes into our tap room and they say oh listen you know uh, you know i don't know what i want right what do you normally drink and if they say oh, i normally drink budweiser or whatever like that's to my mind one of the greatest intro lines anyone can give to me because it's like okay let me show you what we got here and you know you can't just hit them with a you know, 7.2% hoppy, uh, uh, hazy, you know, you, you're going to have to start with a lager, but, you know, we should all be making great accessible beers that uh, are capable of attracting the bloody 95% of people who aren't drinking independent beer. Like, it, it's incumbent upon us all. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And I think it's very easy to forget when you work in the brewing industry or the beer industry, hospitality industry, you know, and, and you are in essence like a beer nerd. Like it's very easy to forget that the vast majority of people can't sell one beer from another. Yeah. And, and let alone if you're like, um, well, I'll give you an example. I was on holiday in the Lake District this um, summer and there was one brewery that had put, you know, very nice looking can. And it told me that it was a DDH IPA, right? I know that's a double drive hot. IPA yeah. and, it, and it listed on the front the, the the three hops that were in there and I'm like yeah I know what the hop, those hops are most people are going to be like what's a DDH IPA what's that mean you know or they look at the hops yeah. and like what the hell's Idaho 7 yeah. you know and 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 they'll they'll have no frame of reference because you know actually when I walk past I didn't realize how commercialized and touristy Windermere is <laughs> but when you walk past all the bars that are in Windermere like everyone's drinking Madri or Camden Pale or some other, yeah. you know, globalised lager or IPA, you know, the, the, they have no frame of reference for all yeah. our acronyms and all the rest of it. And it, it's so easy when you're in that bubble to just be completely consumed by that bubble and then wonder why you're not selling more beer because actually you are alienating and excluding a yeah. lot of people through your jargon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, and listen, you, you is does the product itself probably has to be brewed to have balance, you know, and we are big believers in brewing to, you know, to style and, and balance beers because it probably serves two purposes. One is, well, maybe three, right? One is it makes the beer accessible in the first taste, right? If it's balanced and well thought through, then people are going to go, there's a better than average chance they're going to go, that's a nice beer, right? Great. And, you know, if we're all doing our job really well and it's it's a super balanced beer, they're going to go and I'll have another, you know, and, and that's great. Like, and I think from 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 those pers that perspective, you know, those two things are really, really important. And if they take it to another step where then they add in the layer of and it's made by these really nice people. And here's a couple of things I've found out about, you know, them, you know, either because they've drunk here or they've drunk mm. at a pub that knows us or um, or a store, uh, you know, that tells stories like farm stores and, and delis are great at telling stories. And I think those layers of a great accessible beer, a beer that you want more of, a beer that, you, you know, you'll remember a few stories of. It suddenly gets you very... Um, I suppose aligned is some whatever word is. You bought into the brewery, and, mm. and then at that stage, you're going to give their next beer a try. And like, certainly one of the things, the nicest thing, you know, I, I you know, we all hear is, is, you know, you hear two different versions of it, and and uh, you know, it's lovely to hear. Now people can judge whether they, they, I was like, I've never had a bad beer from Round Corner because like you, know, we put our heart and soul into every beer, and we're trying to make every beer. Uh, the best example of that beer style in the world. It's an aspiration rather than a reality where yeah. it is, but that's the aspiration. Um, 
then you know for us to hear like they've never had you never had a bad one well what we know that translates to is that we can make for instance we just launched a, a cherry wheat beer this week we know people will give that a whirl they might not normally give cherry wheat beers or uh, I'm just drinking a, a, a Baltic Porter at the moment and, and people will give the Baltic Porter whirl that might not ordinarily do it and like yet again that's a I don't know what you might call it, like a, a, a bit of a weight on our shoulders, but we love it because to be able to bring people a new style and know that, okay, they're going to try this style for the first time and then they might try someone else's version of it and something else. Like it's it's a great journey to get people on and it's 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 a much nicer journey if you can kind of start by, you know, trying to bring people in and, and quite frankly then also being very positive about beer and about its place in the community and positive about everyone who makes beer. And quite frankly, that in my mind means macro producers of beer as well as our fellow craft producers. You know, they, like we, we should be positive about beer because in being negative about beer, it, in my mind, it doesn't serve us anyone. It only alienates the people who might drink our beer. So, you know, that's an additional element of our view of a commonly good beer is being positive about beer is, is our collective duty because I, I'm not sure who we're serving by slagging off this producer, yeah. that producer, whoever they are. Yeah. So the last time we spoke, at least on tape, obviously we spoke a lot since <laughs> then, you were saying about how growlers had saved your business during COVID. You know, yeah. we were in the throngs of lockdown. Coming out of COVID into many other <laughs> economic problems mm. and the shit show that we find ourselves in here in the UK, running a brewery your size, how have you found that journey so far over yeah. the last two or three? Two years, I mean, it feels longer than that. It feels like longer than that. And, <laughs> and obviously, it's uh, where does the two years begin? But like, um, yeah, like, I, I think if, if you take even a step back further, is uh, like, I think for a lot of people, you know, the, the, the COVID, probably in retrospect, certainly versus some of the challenges we're facing now, probably feels to a lot of people like, oh, Christ, it was, I, I, it's hard to believe now, but like, or then, like, now it's like, it was a bit better than some of the times. Some of the challenges were easier. There was some grant money around. Uh, there was some disposable income around that people were buying beer and stuff like that. But like, I certainly feel for us personally, and everyone's journey is personal, um, that lockdown was, you know, on balance, not good for us uh, in, in the sense of we were on a bit of a roll, probably mm. in some of the pubs and stuff like that. And that, that obviously halted. Uh, but we still grew really, really rapidly within it. So, like, I, th I think we had, uh, uh, we did the best we could do. We were not closed for almost one single day. We were used to, as you said, the, the growler uh, thing that we had going was we had produced loads of beer, uh, um, you know, for the pub trade through that March, April, May period. And we thought we were absolutely done for. Uh, and, you know, to then just start filling a few growlers and then that turned from a handful in the first weekend, that which is like the... 20th or 28th or whatever of March to like 600 deliveries a week, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later. It was just unbelievable. And that enabled us to buy a canning line and, and a few of those things. So like we came out of that really uh, uh, in, in as good a position as we could ever imagine based on the reality of, of where that is. And I think since then, like I describe it as our growth has continued, which is good. Um, but probably do we feel like we've got a, I don't know, like, nailed down do we know exactly what it is that that causes growth to happen there uh, here and there and you know we know to press on this button does it it's 
it's a really tough environment. And I think I suspect I'm speaking for the vast majority of brewers here is it's difficult to know where your volume is going to come from and you have to work quite hard. Mm. And, you know, I was just there. Uh, um, we had a board presentation the other day and we were looking over, like, say, our top 10 accounts uh, this year versus last year. And um, there's three or four of those accounts from last year that are top 10 accounts that just don't exist anymore. You know, right. and um, uh, like that's, I suspect, a reality for a lot of people. And, and so you add accounts. So it's it's in days gone by, there's probably a reality your job was to um, brew good beer, keep your costs relatively under control uh, and, uh, um, you know, kind of add new accounts, you know, whatever way, lots of pubs and, and uh, you know, think about small pack, etc. Now, um, there's the elements of brew good beer, keep your costs down, but holy shit, your costs are moving very, very fast, uh, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, a lot of the utilities, uh, you know, wage inflation. Well, look at the price of caustic. <laughs> yeah, 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 like unbelievable. how much yeah, that's going up. Yeah. And none of us can get away from it. Like, as we're coming in, we're getting our delivery of gas, um, uh, you know, to the brewery and, and like, you know, the, and you end up spending a lot of time. So there's one thing, the cost, and the other thing is the amount of time you spend negotiating and trying to protect yourself from this stuff. It's, it's, it's quite exhausting. And that's almost like keeping the lights on type stuff that you didn't have to worry about. And then, the secondary element of that is then, well, how do you reflect those costs and the price that you can or can't charge for beer, where most of us were not ha, have not been used to uh, uh, examining your wholesale prices very, very frequently. And now we have to because, mm. you know, you can't continue to, to consume those costs forever. And then if you look at it from the provision of services or the account stuff you have to be obsessed about like credit worthiness of of your customers uh, and then also customers themselves having to respond to what volumes that they need in what format small pack or draft you know um over what period of time over ordering under ordering because um what what people were capable of doing in terms of looking at demand patterns previously and extrapolating those forward just don't really exist didn't and still don't exist because there isn't you couldn't compare this winter to last winter so you're kind of you're in this frothy environment that we continue to grow but it's exhausting it really is and so uh, one of the things that um you know we 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 consider and talk about a bit is like almost something that's an asset in the business uh, you know, as much as the tanks we have or the property or the brands that we have is is energy you mm. know I, I just sheer positivity and mental energy to keep on going to keep on innovating uh, 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 to keep on providing the type of services you want because it's the type of industry that is fueled by you know whether it's positive energy or you know all, all of those types of things because i think everyone who produces beer almost without exception does it for the love of it like it's it's, it's an industry that generates a lot of love for the product and yeah, it's probably no coincidence that, like, say, within our region, the first breweries that started closing were the, probably the breweries that have been here the longest. That if you set up a brewery in the, say, mid-90s and it was a, like an ale brewery and you had a decent living and you were doing that for 20 years and then you had COVID and then you came out of COVID and then, you know, pubs were maybe uh, stocking half the number of casks that they did in terms of the breadth of the offering. Um probably if I was in their shoes I go Christ I had 20 years at this and you know maybe I'm still solvent and you know whatever because most of them did not go bust leaving mm. trails of horribleness behind them 
they just said like this is hard this is too hard and I, and I can absolutely understand it and so I think uh you know some of the things that we do is 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 work on our on our you know mental energy and positivity and stuff like that and I, I don't want to get too Oprah about it because we don't particularly get too Oprah about it <laughs> but I, I think there's something there about you have to have that as a, as a measurable asset is how much appetite do you have for the continued fight to win new accounts to produce new products to and to do all of that while still enjoying it and going about with it with a smile in your face. So, you know, we run a thing where uh, every January we bring a series of our friends, like it's a kind of brewers only event where we'll bring them together in early January. And, and um, it, you know, we call it the brewers retreat. And we just talk amongst ourselves about like, you know, generally uh, beer and, 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 and it's just brewers that come along. And it's just a fabulous event to, to kind of restore a bit of energy and just give people a, a, a little bit of a reset ahead of the year and stuff like that. So uh, and it does the same for us. So, yeah, like I think us as an industry, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, individually as brewers owe it to ourselves to make sure that we're we continue to check in on ourselves and our continued motivation to do great things or to just keep on trucking along in it and 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 to make sure that kind of people are happy within that. But it's it's a tough environment, but we're still growing, you know. And and uh, I think, but like the, the yeah, the trick is uh, uh, we use this during COVID. And I think still the situation is is I don't I don't think we feel too much pressure to be the biggest in the world mm. or to be massive or to keep on telling great stories about how huge we are or are going to be. Um, you know, uh, sometimes success is just doing what you're doing. Don't, no, not compromising on it, but, you know, doing it well. And that growth will come when it comes. And uh, as long as you're doing things sustainably, then, uh, you know, being patient and waiting for those right things and, and, and doing it with passion and love still, you know, in your heart, then you're winning. And I, and I think... Right now, I'd, I'd, I'd still have a lot of ticks in those boxes right now. So, yeah, it's good. We'll see what the winter brings. Yeah. Well. There's a quote in Scarface, you know, the film with Al Pacino, where mm -hmm. Frank, I think his name is, like, mm -hmm. he's, he's kind of like the mentor when he first comes from Cuba to the USA. And um, there's a scene where he's talking to him, like, early off the bat, about how to make it as part of an organised crime syndicate. It's like, the guys that want to go to the top in this business, they don't last. You want to last in this business? You lay low. You know, and and I've, I've often referenced that on, on this podcast and when I talk to businesses, because I think there's so much truth in that when it comes to running a brewery. Like, those breweries that want to go to the top real fast and they make all the, you know, the, the, the massively juicy dippers, the crazy sweets, desserts, you know, Cheerio-infused imperial stouts and the, the sours made with, you know, mushrooms found in the Amazonia or whatever. Like, it's great to add all that fuel to the fire and, and sort of rocket launch yourself off with a bang, but it only lasts so long yeah. before it's like, well, coming back to what we were saying about the people drinking Madri earlier, mm. like you know, before those that very niche audience and customer base moves on to the next extremity yeah, of yeah, what's yeah. gonna get our, what's gonna get us even higher than that. Yeah. Whereas the the ninety five percent of people drinking Madri or whatever yeah. are like, right, well what what can we progress on to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I, I, it's like I suppose don't mistake it for we wanna grow, right? And we're we're determined and we yeah, work totally. our asses off to grow. 
but you, you you've got to know when when to push things on mm. or I mean, sometimes that you don't know right and you just you're trying your best and you you go along and things and and, uh, and reconcile yourself with that that you're trying your best and and part of that i think going back like the madri is a great example or peroni is another example is there's no point in like just choosing examplers from from our own subset of beer and saying that's what we you know we'd aspire to be and there's many great many great breweries that that we love and, and aspire to be but like the lessons that can be learned from you know basically how products like peroni and madri are rolled out is just you know the, the, there's something there's obviously something frightening uh, like from from our perspective about how effective having i don't know, thousand salespeople and you know massive uh, uh you know kind of monetary incentives for people doing things but like there's other stuff that goes on there that's enormously impressive mm. about like say the price point that you know they can get for peroni or you know how quickly they can get madri out and there's just versions that we can all learn from that to think okay what we what have we learned from what these macro folks are doing that we can apply to our uh, you know kind of independent part of the world and and and, and figure out how how you know how that works to push our own beer, but also the kind of collective responsibility we have to push great independent craft beer. Because the kind of reality of the price point for a keg of Peroni, we'd all be delighted to get this equivalent product, the price for that. So like, Christ, let's start learning from what the hell, where the hell's they're, they're doing there and whatever it is that we can apply. And, and if there's nothing after extensively looking at it, so be it. But I suspect there's got to be something. But I think know? that comes back to the polarisation we were talking about earlier when we were sharing some beers in your tap room. Mm. Like how it's very easy to look and think, ooh, global beer, bad, independent, crap beer, good. You know, and, and, and look at it in those black and white terms when actually I've learned through some of the clients I've worked with, um, you know, particularly the ones abroad, um, you know, not domestic to the UK, that actually there's, there's an incredible amount that you can learn from those macro breweries and yeah. apply to your own business because I, you know it works because there's a lot of people in those businesses that have a lot of business experience yeah. that maybe small independent brewers don't have by virtue of the fact that more often than not they were started by a home brewer or somebody who was a brewer in another business yeah. who wants to start their own business who might be great at the technical work of brewing but no not that much about running a business. Yeah, and, and listen, some of the behaviours we've to learn from, uh, are like, I'm not naive that these are big businesses for a reason, which is that they're financially motivated, they're strong on margins, and that they're protective, you know? So yeah. is, is some of the learnings are going to be about how we combat some of their more protective natures. Like, mm. um, you know, definitely as an example of, uh, of ourselves and a lot of other breweries, uh, you know, worlds that you're forced to go into that you'd maybe even rather not is like, as an example, like uh, uh, tech services and dispensing keg beer, right? Clack is a classic example. Like none of us form breweries to think, do you know what I've, I've dreamt of doing is running the cellars for a large number of, of pubs or, you know, whatever. And uh, none of us ever want to do that if we can, if we can avoid it. But there's certain times if you're going to start selling keg beer in reasonable volumes to people is that you have to probably... Uh, cross the bridge of okay some of the ways in which people were getting these accounts was providing tech services and if you're going to take a meaningful chunk of that bars uh, a keg dispense world you're going to have to step in there and provide some of those services because that's what that pub has mm. gotten used to whether you like it or not and so 
yeah, we have to probably get real about what it is that, that sells beer and, and uh, beer sells because of quality and you should be, you know, kind of zoned in on that and unyielding in your pursuit of quality of beer. But, you know, then you get to like, you know, does the brand look good? Does it sell? Do you have good links to, you know, directly to drinkers to, you know, help venues, uh, 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 you know, push people towards those beers? And then is your service good? You know, are you doing delivering beer when you say you're going to do it? If they've got a problem with dispense, are you there to help with them? Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, all of those things. And then obviously, the you know, the things around running events and, you know, whatever it is together is service is a really, really important thing. Because I think we as independents will always be able to beat the, the big mm. people in terms of the personal service that you get. But it sadly probably has to extend to... Uh, 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 more extensive things than we all probably thought we would be doing. And then probably by extension within that is you then end up thinking, OK, we can only probably handle a smaller number of more intense accounts. And I suspect that's the route we've a lot of us have gone down where, you know, we're zoned in on permanency and high volumes and stuff like that, alongside never saying no to volume from anyone. Um, but it is difficult to make a living from someone who buys a keg of your beer every six months. You know, uh, it, it, you know, there's there's certainly something about getting your name out there and you know looking after someone who's passionate about beer and potentially about your beer. But uh, you know, obviously the, the the world where someone you know is buying, you know, eight to ten kegs a week off you of of a beer. That's that's an account that you know begs you to make sure that they they are well looked after from the service from every point of view and. Uh, uh, those accounts still exist out there, but like the the, the whole pub world is a, is a world that's quite precious and needs supporting. So yeah, we'll we'll see what the next few years yield from a pub perspective. Looking at the current numbers, like as an example, um, we were doing cask immediately post lockdown, and we thought cask was going to absolutely fly because mm. we thought a beer that people couldn't really get at home, not in the same format, was going to fly, and and we were mistaken. It didn't fly, and it hasn't fly, flown for a lot of people, other than some of the big, the bigger national brands, and the volumes generally across cask are twenty percent down. And in a world where we we struggle to make the volumes of beer that there's demand there for, we had to say, okay, we can't really make a beer that's not selling so well when we're not making beers that would be sold out immediately. And so, yeah, there's 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 tough decisions like that. And yet again, that's a bit where you need to be very much on your toes and open to making decisions that you know that 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 otherwise you might not make or might not question um you know because we love making cast beer but we don't make it right now and, and we might not make it for another year or two maybe we, you know we'll always review going back at it but it, it, it's a space that's too challenged from a volume perspective too challenged from a price point perspective and too challenged from a openness to independent brands that bit's a bit more arguable but you know, by by by, uh, you know, beers on 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 pumps, that that's that's what the numbers indicated to us. So it's it's a, it's it's a tough environment. But the, you know, a, I think if something gives me general optimism about what's likely to be quite a tough winter, for the UK in general, is that going back to this social lubricant thing is is. I think people want obviously affordable luxuries as this general catch-all for beer, but people want will want companionship and neighbourliness and all of those types of things that in tough times they become almost more important. And mm. so if you can build a, a beer that feeds into those things and is great tasting and, and just, you know, gives people, some you know, a special feeling, then 
I think those beers will still sell in these tough climates. And certainly that's the bet we have we have to make that bet, right? That's 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 the fundamental yeah. bet we're making. And and um there's enough there even now in these tough times that that, that makes me believe that uh, people will still spend on good uh, craft beer. I wonder whether then going forward, and this will feed into a question I'll ask, whether the answer lies in what you just said about for for breweries in particular that have tap rooms in creating those spaces throughout this next period where they can have community and draw people together and have that fellowship for want of a better word um with one another more so than focusing on what's the next juicy ipa we're going to produce or what fruits we're going to throw in this sour because i talked to a friend of mine the other day about um, the last recession we had in 2007. Mm. And um, back then, the difference between then and the potential recession we're looking at now was, because he was talking about little luxuries, kind of like, it, as you just said, the difference between then and now is what, back then, if you wanted a nice tasting beer from an independent brewer, it was kind of like you had to go to a specialist bottle shop yeah. or a you know, micropub or whatever, um, you know, free house, to buy that because supermarkets weren't offering those. Whereas now supermarkets, I could walk into a, mm -hmm. a grocery store and get a 8.5% dipper for £3.50, £4, and it'll be really on point because it's also accredited and all the rest of it will be tasty. I know what to expect every time. You know, for a lot of people out there, mm. they're going to choose that £3.50 or £4 max over gambling, you know, for certain, uh, having certainty if yeah. they're just looking for the beer and the quality, for that certainty over spending potentially seven, eight quid on an independent beer that might be shit. And so I said to him, well, the difference between then and now is that now I can walk into the supermarket if I choose and buy a beer like that. Whereas the, the priceless thing now that you can't buy from a supermarket is that community yeah. and that um, camaraderie and kinship that you have from people. And I wonder whether going forwards for brewers in the UK, particularly if you have tap rooms and you're listening to this or some of the space, is to foster that community and to build it and to do what you need to do to solidify your... 1,000 true fans who are so invested into that community and those people and your brewery that you naturally, that the liquid is just a something you happen to sell to that community. And what you're really selling is, as you say, the vibe and that feeling. Yeah. So here's the question off the back of that then. Like, what do you think, because we are evidently going into hard times, what do you think is the biggest threat or are the biggest threats for independent craft beer in the UK throughout this next six months? Yeah, uh, well, I, I think there's there's a myriad. There's there's like, there's some specific stuff like the, uh, yeah, uh, uh, like the specific stuff, and I won't propose to go on it because there's people eminently more qualified, but like the, the duty reform by and large, I still view as negative for uh, uh, craft breweries. Mm. Uh, and positive for the kind of that scale of you know slightly and bigger than us right so we're probably at risk within that duty reform uh, but bigger craft breweries and, and then the family breweries from around the country are probably going to win out of that 
that seems to me to be, you know, um, yeah, like just inexplicable in terms of what intended outcome was, was supposed to come from this. Um, uh, you know, so that's an imminent risk. And and then like subsets of that is like anything around this deposit return scheme, you know, that, that, that um, you know, we sell a lot of cans. Are we, you know, if you believe some of the coverage and I'm, you know, I'm not across it as much as other people, but I know enough to go like, Christ, we're going to have to stop taking orders from Scotland in the same way as we had to stop really taking orders for a while from Northern Ireland or Ireland. We used to have about uh, somewhere between 10 or 15% of our online business was into into Southern Ireland. As you guess from my accent, there was some connection there in Colin hmm. and Ireland as well. And that's just disappeared. And so like these are government policy decisions, you know, enacting you know, yeah, I suppose Brexit, will of the people, whatever, but like duty returns were not the will of the people, uh, um, you know, that that are that are going to have negative impacts mm. on the craft brewing world. If I look at then the more specific, the more global ones, the cost impacts are probably disproportionately felt by, you know, uh, um, craft breweries on, you know, whether it's hops, whether it's utilities, because our ability to kind of strong arm utilities businesses aren't as great as, as those people who are doing big volume. And then just generally, I think uh, the impacts of those same, particularly, say, utilities uh, uh, costs on people's disposable incomes is is going to be real. Like uh, certainly we see from the order patterns of our on trade customers or even even the, the store customers we have and our own tap room is that, uh, um, you know, uh, it's much more payday centric, your peaks and troughs than yep. we'd have ever seen previously. And that's a big thing. Like that's mm. not a good thing, you know. And that's and there's always a reality. People get paid, and then slowly they spend that income over a period of time. And maybe in the last week or so, they're a bit more cautious. But now you really see it. Like people have a bit of money, they'll spend it, and then you know they disappear for a long period of time. And so, um, that type of stuff is 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 really tough. And I think there's an element of um making sure that your product is great and uh, and all of those types of things within it and that uh, you've got the right outlets and you know all of that and the right you know end customer base and the right aspirations for how many uh, uh, of those people are in that end customer base and how much beer they can buy um and then there's an element of just going right like kind of how can you control either your costs or your aspirations to just say right your job is to get through this reasonably tough winter and into the summer next year because it can feel quite daunting when you're looking at this range of typically quite negative impacts and thinking mm. like oh christ how are we going to work our way through it but like sometimes just things have a way of of of, of working themselves out or that positively you get surprised by how many people are still buying good beers and uh, you know and uh, doing those things where i think yeah people will sacrifice really expensive holidays and stuff like that but kind of we would hope you know that they would be substituting in then some evenings you know in really great pubs that we're pouring our beer through etc and and there's definitely something where if i look at some positives that come out of this you know is it certainly hasn't escaped our attention that we've won some business where there was formerly big breweries selling beer at very cheap prices mm. into into pubs. Uh, uh, and then suddenly, because of their experience of cost inflation, they've had to increase their prices. And suddenly those prices are starting to come into our orbit again. And pubs are remembering us and going, actually, if I'm going to pay this, I'm going to pay it to you. And we've had a number of wins on that front. So those type of things, 
are positives and if you can find enough of those uh, uh, they'll be great so yeah I, I think it is going to be a tough winter and I think we haven't seen uh, the uh, even the beginning of it in terms of the businesses that have gone uh, uh, out of business over the last few months are typically probably businesses that were struggling or considering their future even prior to mm. 2019 um you know, and, and you know, there's somewhat of a logical conclusion, but I think there'll be a number of businesses. <laughs> I don't know any specifics, you know, but like that will shock people. Like, oh my god, I cannot believe that that business, you know, it's not because they've run out of energy. They might have run out of money, and all those types of things. And and uh, yeah, that that'll be tough. But I think it shouldn't deter people from listen. If if you do love beer, your job is to go out and enjoy beer, and and you know, yeah, um, you know, talk about those beers and convert people into drinking those beers, and and uh, you know, we we hope envisage and see that there'll be enough of that out there, and then we have to work, uh, you know, our socks off to market our products and you know build Christmas offerings and stuff like that because it's not just enough to build beers you have to sell them in the right places at the right times and they 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 are quite varied like say this this winter we're doing a lot more retail stuff and uh, you know even like the classic things that smaller breweries would do around uh, markets etc we'll do those as well as festivals and events as well as uh, you know pubs as well as our own tap room it's it's a uh, yeah, there is sadly no substitute for, uh, you know, hard work and graft and some of these things. And uh, yeah, some of those things are timeless. Is That's how, you know, as many opportunities as people can have to try your beers, that would make sense. And then I would say another positive, certainly from what I've seen, is that uh, an area that we were nervous about coming out of lockdown was the wholesale market. Mm. Uh, uh, and we thought that wholesalers, and they probably were, like really had a tough, exceptionally tough uh, uh, during uh, lockdown, um, you know, uh, because the level of support just was non-existent for them. For those of us that had bars and stuff like that, we got support and uh, stuff. But the wholesalers really, well, quite frankly, got shafted uh, uh, during lockdown, and uh, it must have been really dark and difficult for see for them to see the way out. But they roared back into life across a number of wholesalers who are doing a great job, and certainly. Uh, um, you know, from an, from almost a base of post-pandemic where we were going like, we're a bit worried about credit credit worthiness across the board, so let's just do our own thing. Uh, we've recently signed up with a couple more wholesalers and we've really kind of worked uh, uh, closely to identify those that, you know, share our vision, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I feel really positive about uh, what influence they'll have on, on how many people will enjoy Round Corner beer. So there's a lot of positives out there, but maybe you just have to like a bit of hard graft to find them. And, uh, and I think there'll be a lot of great beers out there, a lot of great breweries that will that will roar into the years ahead. But will we see that, whatever it is, two and a half thousand number for number of breweries in the UK, like that will decline, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's 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 a tough market. What do you think it takes to run a beer business these days? Well, yeah, th uh, this is a pet subject of mine. <laughs> um, uh, you know, clearly, I I'm I'm blessed in, in the sense of that I met Colin, who uh, uh, Colin Page, the co-founder of Round Corner, with me, who uh, uh, you know is a guy that just lives and breathes beer. You know, all his life. And uh, you know, so he, he's got an incredible amount of knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Insane. So <laughs> any, anyone on this podcast that has ever had the chance to speak to Colin about beer, you'll kind of uh, uh, you'll be aware of the depth of his technical knowledge and 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 his love of beer and and his ability to make 
you know, some of the, the most awarded beers in the world. Like it's, it's, it's great. So I'm kind of blessed that he handles that aspect and is very generous with his, his time and his patience, quite frankly, around some of the, <laughs> get, getting me involved in those. So that's, that's always great, but it, 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 it's such a, a boon to have someone like that where, um, you know, he's obsessive about all angles. And I, so I know when he's happy, I'm happy. Right. right. And, and, and vice versa, I think, um, that I'll handle the business aspects of things. And then in the middle, we both care about marketing and, uh, you know, all of those types of things. And so I think you need um, a broader range of skills than... Uh, so I, I'm a shareholder in 40 breweries, right? Uh, I, I invested every... 40? Yeah, I invested every crowdfunding for the last five years, right? Not everyone. Some of them were not great, uh, uh, you know, even for a five or a time. But I invested a five or a time in every... Uh, and so I watched them from the inside. And because I'm a former analyst, I just obsess about watching things and going like, oh, that's interesting. I learned from that. So I practice what I preach when, I, when I'm talking about learning from everyone. Um, and I would say the one observation that I would see is there's too few breweries that amongst the sustainable credentials that we should all look at whether it's environmental sustainability people sustainability all those types of things is financial state sustainability um the financial governance of a number of breweries a couple of whom you know a number of whom have gone bust since is just woeful uh, at times i think some of it is really good uh, uh but too too much emphasis on just the beer alone and passion will get you through how to run a company oftentimes with a large number of employees and very complex cost and revenue structures it's not enough like get real um uh, uh you know you need to be uh very financially literate very tough on yourself in terms of uh, are you doing the right things uh you know both in terms of managing costs and incurring costs investing for the future charging the right price for the beer uh, uh, not being desperate to sell volume, but doing so at the right prices in the sustainable ways. Uh, there are as much business decisions as anything else. And so, um, you know, it's very encouraging always to see people who bring on board business knowledge if they don't have it or, you know, have it there. But alongside the passion for beer, I think you have to have both. So I think uh, um, a little bit more, you know, uh, 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 financial nous, uh, um fuels passion because you can't have a brewery that's all about amazing beers and being there forever for future and treating staff really really well you can't have that if you don't have any money in the bank mm. because all of that goes by the wayside and then suddenly you're doing desperate deals or you're you know you're missing bill payments or you're doing whatever stuff that you don't want to do and then it, it becomes desperate and so being financially literate and running it as a business, not as a social enterprise in totality, is 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 really really critical. And and uh, uh, I I would never tire the whole thing because it's not the case. There's a there's a there's a, you know some great examples out there and better than us. There are businesses that are better better run than us even financially. Blah blah blah. But I know that uh, you know if we don't win, it'll probably be because the proposition in all ways just wasn't exactly right. And if we win, it'll be because not only were we making good beer, but we were making the right decisions around that to do so in a sustainable way. And and uh, 
I think it's really important and more important than people recognise, particularly if you, for example, crowdfund and you have external shareholders. Uh, I don't think you can treat them as some sort of abstract world that they once gave you money, but you don't really care about them anymore. They own your business and they deserve to know financially what's happening at least every year. At least every year you tell them in detail without any obfuscation what exactly is happening in their business. And so if that was one plea to the 40 companies that I'm an investor in, <laughs> no is, please mentioned. give me uh, once a year a reality check of uh, uh, actually what the hell is happening in your businesses uh, uh, um, as a small part owner thing. And as a, as a person who practices what I preach, we have 36 shareholders, 30 shareholders in our business. And so uh, they get on a quarterly basis. Uh, it warts and all assessment of how our business goes. And, and, and I find it very liberating because if, if we haven't had a good quarter or whatever, like it's quite liberating to tell people. Like it's not good, so it's, no one feels great about it. But if you haven't had one, you just say, here it is, this is the reality. You get used to explaining the highs and the lows. Uh, but there you go. Uh, be honest with everyone around it is always a good a good policy. But there you go. Absolutely. I'll get off my soapbox on Absolutely. financial uh, literacy. <laughs> it's the city coming out. In <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show again. And um, just, just to lay out on the table of the reality of how, you know, it's going and running a brewery is these days. You know, I think it's something that people need to hear. And um, we're very quick to share successes you know on social media whatever kind of business you run you know it's all about oh check me out aren't we the the, the best and all the rest of it when you know um it, it's only behind closed doors often we talk about the reality and the uh, you know the nuts and bolts of it and how tough it is so we're uh, yeah ma massive thanks for that um just so people can get hold of your beers which i highly recommend they do because they are fantastic beers and i'm not just saying that um how can people do that um so yeah you can go to roundcornerbrewing.com uh wherever you are in, in the uk uh, uh or overseas uh and um just order on our web shop there uh so yeah that's 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 always the best place and uh obviously if you have any uh nearby local that stocks beer just obviously let us know via the same email address and uh we, we, we'll we'll find our beers uh, well, make our wares, our beer find its way. Oh, I'm getting lost there. You know what I mean? We'll get our beers into the pub. Uh, but yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, it's been hugely enjoyable as ever. Okay, I think it's um, yeah, interesting times. They're always tough times of some description. Like that's the reality. And so I don't want to leave things in a kind of lectury way in terms of telling people how to financially run their business. But um. I think we're in a great industry. I think the industry is by and large still growing and is still set for success. Um, but we've probably got to be realistic about what success means and not get too anxious about seeing, to your point, all of the kind of boastful posts about what people are doing. Or, you know, the other extreme where, you know, you see people really struggling and then the kind of plea goes out too late, you know, about, oh, please come and support our things. And, and oftentimes in a way that makes it almost difficult or unattractive for people to come and support it is um, I think we need to be just more honest, more frequently with each other that, you know, it's a tough market out there. And, and um, what is success for, for, for people is different. And so kind of defining what success is for, for your business or brewery or pub or whatever is really important. And then just 
working hard for that, you know, with you know, with with, with all the means that, that that are at your disposal and, and focusing on what you're strong at. Like there's certain things that we're not strong at that we just think, okay, that's that's you know, we ain't good at hype, put it that way. Maybe as this podcast would show. <laughs> um but like what we do know is that uh, if someone tries our beers and, and uh, uh, likes them, then you know uh they'll like our other beers and that we'll work our socks off to to make sure that that route to market that's there will get well serviced and so that's our shtick but everyone has their strengths and 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 uh you know play on those is really important and uh yeah i just want to say as well this hop forward podcast i always love doing it like it's such a unique uh um you know kind of uniquely focused on breweries and so I just love this and I love listening to like uh, you know the many great guests that you've assembled over the years so I'm always uh, a little bit proud to do oh, this thing so thanks, yeah man. thank well, you, you very you, much you, you, you fill me up with beer and cheese and pork pie earlier so what can I say <laughs> 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 on that bombshell thank you well it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.